0: You're listening to Hot Topics Reframed, topics that are hot with a lot of thought with Becky Hayes and Cedric Taylor. Hello, and welcome to, I suppose, the inaugural episode of Hot Topics Reframed. I am one of the co hosts, Rebecca Hayes.
1: And I am Cedric Taylor. And we are both. Professors at Central Michigan University, and uh, you know, when we came together for this project, we we're coming from definitely different backgrounds.
0: I really actually had a dream about us having a podcast because we used to be roommates, and I uh, would have like the back and forth with Cedric all the time, and my partner at the time would like hear us. Talking about you know different sociological uh, topics, which sociology basically encompasses all topics, so anything was on the table, and we would we would talk back and forth for a good hour, and uh, my partner would listen to us. <laughs> and then when I had that dream of the podcast, I was like, we
1: could actually do this. Usually, we are on the same page, but again, we come from different backgrounds. And I think that that creates a particular energy, a particular synergy, if you will. When Becky brought this idea to me, I thought that this was just this was perfect. I think we could capture that lightning in a bottle. Becky, tell us a little bit about yourself. What brought you to this particular point? Give me a little bit about your background and how that led to your identity today.
0: Okay, yeah. No, um, my background, you know, I, did, I, I obviously have a Ph.D. as a professor. Uh, something I never thought would happen when I was in college and my professor told me, hey, are you considering graduate school? I was like, what's a graduate school? <laughs> I'm like, what's a graduate What do you do with that? Uh, she's like, well, well, how, well, you could become a professor. You can do research. I'm like, oh, well, I like research. You know, and as somebody who came from a small town and dropped out of high school and ran away from home at 16, I was like, Would they let me do that? I mean, at that point, I was still worried that they were like, the high school police were gonna come find me and try to take away my bachelor's degree.
1: (laughs) So you dropped out of high school and now you're a full professor.
0: Yeah, full professor. That is uh, something I didn't think I would reach, and I was like, I'm gonna do that before I'm 40. Uh, My friends and stuff used to joke about how I should be interviewed by Oprah. I want Oprah and Gail to be my friends, Uh, and I used to watch Oprah, (laughs) but yeah, it's the kind of story that goes on Oprah, like the background and the change, Uh, but also what I didn't lose is that uh, my identity isn't that, oh, look at me, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I recognize that I had some help along the way, even though I was economically disadvantaged, and I recognized the ways I I was privileged, and I wasn't privileged, and uh, I think community comes into play there did i struggle sure sure yeah but uh at the end of the day here i am a full professor still acknowledging that there are systematic structures that prevent people from getting ahead Mm -hmm. and that a lot of people i grew up with you know they're still there and uh they still are fighting to make ends meet and they didn't get to class jump like i did Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. brought you to this cedric
1: (laughs) 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 i grew up in jamaica I grew up in Jamaica in a middle-class household. My dad was a civil servant, my mom was a teacher, and from day one there was an environment of learning in the household. But the thing about Jamaica is that as far as inequality is concerned, you can't hide from it. Poverty and opulence are within a stone's throw of each other. Mm -hmm. And so, growing up, it was difficult to not see the inequality staring you right in the face. Mm-hmm. Going to school, I went to a high school that was in the middle of an inner city. It was a prestigious high school, but once you left those gates, you saw all manner of things, right? So you couldn't grow up. Certainly, in my circumstance not having some sort of exposure, but of course, seeing it is different from actually experiencing it. Got to University of West Indies. Wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. I didn't, I knew I didn't want to go into business. I have, do I have a mind for it? Maybe, but the questions that I had about society, much more fundamental. I wanted to know how society worked, why people behaved in a particular way they did. And I took a lecture and my life changed. I saw a professor who shared my name, though it had no relation. He had confidence in me. He saw something in me that I didn't quite see myself. Eventually got into grad school, fell in love with sociology, felt that sociology was a way to revolutionize the world. Mm-hmm. Came to. Even though no one listens to us. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those interesting things. You know, I think that as sociologists, we, we should take some of that blame. To be quite honest, Becky, I think yeah. we do. Ivory retire. Tower retire stuff. Yeah. yeah who. I- we, who... Can, I, can we cuss on this? Yeah, oh, okay. we All can right. cause, we can
0: swear. Right. Hey, if you, you're, just to let you know, disclaimer, right. <laughs> if you don't um, like swearing, I've got some <laughs> swearing to do, especially when I get impassioned.
1: We can, we can maybe bleep this out later. We're talking to, real and truly. Right. And that's one of the reasons why we did a podcast, like why we're doing this podcast. Yeah. Folks who are vaguely familiar with Becky's career knows that she is a publishing powerhouse. <laughs> right? It's one of the reasons why she rose through the ranks so quickly. Yes, she did. She's an excellent teacher. She does her service, but her publishing record is, is quite remarkable. But at the same time, uh, and you and I have had this conversation before, who are we talking to? Are we preaching to the converted, preaching to the choir, or are there people out there outside of the towers that really need to hear what we have to offer? Not just policymakers, just ordinary folk.
0: Yeah, like educating in a way that's more broad based. Yeah, in my field, we call it public criminology, but it's called public sociology, too. Uh, It's also synonymous with activism, Um, which is a word that in that ivory tower academia, you know, it's kind of, you know, not considered a good word. They're like, oh, you're being an activist. That means you're not. Neutral, and I was like, "Of course, I'm not neutral. That's what I got an education for. I, I, I educated myself around what's wrong, and I'm not going to just be neutral because I figured out all of this research and what's was wrong. Why, why would I not be angry about this?"
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> for those who are new to sociology, and that's what uh, Becky and I are bringing to the table. A big part of its development, many, many, many years ago, was closely tied to the scientific method, and so. Sociologists today, many of us feel that the best way to understand society is to take a step back and not introduce bias into our lens. Becky, you know, maybe can elaborate in terms of, you know, how that's more easily said than done. (laughs) There are two schools of thought. One is, you know, there's a saying that the only way for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing right so right. if you yeah. are blessed with education and the skill set as a, of a sociologist are you going to stand by and let vulnerable people be, be be hurt
0: yeah and the vulnerable communities are some of the strongest people out there because look at that survival you know and regarding bias I, I don't know whenever anybody says that to me i'm like you're telling me you're not you're not biased Of course you are. We all are. We all have our societal experiences. I thought that within sociology, we would understand that more. You know, like, oh, where you grew up and how your parents raised you and your community and the school that you went to all impact the lenses that you put on your eyes when you walk out into the world. That's what sociology is. It's like, Mm -hmm. let me check what my lenses are and why I think that way and see if there's another way to think about it from another person's perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's lifelong education, friends. Lifelong education. I get schooled all the time and I can admit when I'm wrong and I absolutely believe that
1: when you know better, you can do better. Becky, you're one of those who are actually out on the front line. The activist badge is very much part of, of who you are. It's my identity, identity. yeah. It's my identity, for sure. Generally speaking, what kind of activism have you been involved in, and what was your experience like, generally? I think the
0: the main thing that I always recognized was uh, the power differentials in all of our systems and all our institutions. So my activism is listening. That's my superpower. (laughs) Listening, and then... um, trying to use that information to make change in the ways that the people who are asking for me to listen to make change, but also like deferring to them and their needs. Um, and, you know, champion some of my own causes and the things that have happened to me growing up that are just, you know, I'm a full of trauma. Um, <laughs> and I think that's what makes me a good teacher mm-hmm. uh, is because mm-hmm. I can relate to the material. And, I, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. I look out at the shocking faces and they're like, holy...
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you had a what happened? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I've gone to therapy and I've done all those things. And I still um, come out trying to be the best and kind person that I can be while still making mistakes and, and mm-hmm. being a human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So activism is tied to that. Like, I didn't want us to just be in a professor. You know, that's not where I came from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, too, Cedric, like, <sighs> I think when we get all, a little disillusioned when we first get in the academy because it's like, oh, all these brilliant minds, and what are, wait, wait, what are you doing? Well, we're educating people, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. cool, 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 mm-hmm. people who can afford it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, you know, again, it goes back to the whole issue of who exactly are we talking to? One of the things about academia that really kind of really shocked me is the fact that, yes, in academia, you have all these enlightened people, brightest minds, molding the future, etc., cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all that great stuff.
0: Doing research, you know, research cutting edge research, innovative. All of which
1: are absolutely needed. Mm-hmm. They're all needed. They're very ext- extremely important. But there are things within academia, I'm not speaking necessarily with respect to my or our experiences at CMU. I'm talking in a, in a Broad. general uh, sense. You will find issues the very issues that we're fighting in the community within the walls of academia. So Absolutely. <laughs> sexism, yep. racism, yep. Et cetera.
0: Yeah. The power differential is alive and well in all institutions, and that one included. Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, going in we're like, Oh, this is gonna be an enlightened place and then you get there and you're like uh, kind of. Mm-hmm. Maybe <laughs> there's sometimes it is and then there's sometimes it isn't. And there's a lot of structures in place to prevent, you know, the type of growth that we would like to see. So I don't know, I just knew that my identity was bigger than an institution of, like, I'm going to be in a, the academy. Um, the autonomy that I've been afforded has been great for my personality as a, as a whole, mm-hmm. because I do not do well if somebody's trying to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to think for myself, and I am very self-motivated. Mm-hmm. That's the allusion to all of my, you're alluding to my publishing record. Like, you you sit me down and tell me to work, and I, you're not going to get nothing from me. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little, little back note to my psyche. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I, you're just like, hey, get your work done, I'm like, okay, cool. I got it. And here I go. And I actually probably do more than what you would have expected of me <laughs> anyway. Mm-hmm but I I do like activism. What brought you to um, be interested in uh, this kind of work specifically?
1: I've always wanted to do a more public sociology. I've always been bothered by the fact that I was talking to the same people at the same conferences year after year after year. And before I took on a a full-time tenure track position at CMU, I negotiated documentary filmmaking as, as part of, my my package because I knew that beyond the jargon, mm-hmm. the visual was just a powerful way of changing hearts and minds, of edu- of, of educating people, of getting people motivated, uh, of corralling people toward a particular cause. And so, one of my major projects early into my position uh, was. Working on the Flint water crisis, doing a documentary on the Flint water crisis.
0: Brilliant, by the way. I was like so, like just proud that you went in that innovative direction because that's not the traditional way of conducting, uh, you know, this kind of scholarship that we're so expected and required to to create. You're like, okay, that's cool, but I want it to be bigger and reach more people so that I can actually incite change. So you did it differently than I did, but it's still the same.
1: You know, I, I still, of course, have an appreciation and you know a desire to publish more and more traditional sort of sources, but at the same time, again, who was I talking to? Who was I reaching? So, because of the documentary, people from all walks of life, all sorts of professions, they see something, and they're inspired to do something about it. They see an injustice; they're inspired to do something about it. So, the documentary has been used by activists. It has been used by policymakers, people in public health, social workers, etc., etc., engineers, and so forth. It's amazing. I have not been on the front lines as much as you have. One of my questions for you is: When you go into that particular space, what do you offer? So, when activists see an academic such as, such as yourself entering that space, you know, so you have all the credentials going into that space what is the reception like? How do they utilize your skills? Because I th- I think academia and, and activism should go hand in hand. Could yeah. you speak on that?
0: Well, also uh, to circle back to what you're talking about being on the front lines, and I should have mentioned already, is that like, I kind of started my career as a victim advocate. Like I, I was volunteering at a rape crisis center, and I was doing the crisis counseling over like 24-hour hotline stuff, and that's that's where I was like, okay, I, I'm going to hit burnout if I do this for a career, but I see all the things that are wrong and I want to be able to create real change. But regarding your question, um, you know, I don't lead with that. I'm an academic. It's not always received while well. there's a mistrust there, you know, and I earn trust in some circles. Like when I did the when I did the work in St. Lucia, I also recognized that it, it was because here's this white person coming into a black space. And so I obviously needed to prove that I wasn't there just to take um, and colonize and do all the things that um, the legacy of, of our history has for us. But I, it's also academics are mistrusted because there is... You know, we publish in our own journals, we publish and preach to each other, but not into the larger community. So how I gained trust there after many, many meetings was, you know, I I lived through every promise, you know, I, I followed through. We worked together. It was collaborative. Collaboration is the big thing. And I think that's big in activism, too. It's It's collaboration. And um, I noticed that the academy is somewhat shy away from collaboration at times. They say they want it, but it's lip service because I, you know, even when I've gone up for early tenure, they're like, well, you didn't write anything by yourself. So they're like, well, uh, two heads, three heads and four heads are better than one. You know, critical thinking is I can critically think for myself, but also shouldn't we all critically think together? And like I said, my one of my superpowers is you know empathy and listening so listening to other people and you know making sure giving truth to and power to the, to the voices that I'm listening to and not taking credit for their work and their stuff is what you know really kind of places me in activist and practitioner based spaces You know, the fact that I have the victim advocacy background does give me a little bit of credibility. And also, you know, trust needs to be earned in whatever, wherever you go and recognize in one's own privilege. But again, I I grew up poor, right? But. I'm not poor now, I'm an academic, so, well, I'm not, that, that's not to say that all academics are rich because uh, my partner's family thinks that I'm rich because I'm an academic, I'm like, I'm okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's lots of academics who are jobless
1: or adjuncts and make nothing, you mm-hmm. can speak to that for sure, because, mm-hmm. like, you, you were an adjunct for I a while. was, while. I was an adjunct for, a, a, you know, for a while, and, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but there is definitely a kind of hierarchy, whether higher institutions of high learning want to admit it or not um and i say there's a hierarchy not in terms of necessarily feelings of superiority or inferiority whether you're a tenure track or a non-tenure track person but institutionally how you are treated yeah you know so there, there, are, there are differences but back to you know something that you were saying earlier about you know being this uh, credentialed full professor going into these activist spaces and how, you know, they, they relate to somebody. Do you think that there is a, a fear that you will be coming in and just taking over? Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. And also, I mean, I can do real damage. I can do real damage uh, as an academic and especially thing the spaces that I tend to run and not just in activist spaces, but nonprofits and things like that. You know, if I come in and I evaluate a program or something or provide that kind of service uh, and then go publish it, you know, they can get shut down. You know so i i recognize that there is some power in that and that i need to recognize my privilege there too because some of these community organizations are fighting tooth and nail to get funding and if i come in and complain about one thing sure that one thing is not working correctly but all this other stuff is they do that often with funding agencies if one thing's going wrong you know there's a lot of more um critical eyes that are placed on organizations that are doing community work and I recognize that. And so I get that 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 fear is based in reality. I mean, academics do do that. They'll come in and they'll publish something and then something will get shut down. They'll lose their money. And then that service... And then there, it doesn't get replaced.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, as a
0: criminologist, I see mm-hmm. it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's programs that are actually working. Mm-hmm. All the programs that are working, it seems like they don't want to fund those, but
1: mm-hmm. I won't get on that soapbox yet. Yeah, that's for later. You're familiar with both spaces. You're familiar with the activist space as well as the academic space when you are in activist space do you see any similarities as far as culture is concerned
0: well i think that no matter where you go people are people so there's going to be disagreements and there's healthy disagreements and then there's unhealthy disagreements and i do agree we should delve into that but i think we should do that in our next episode we're
1: just about out of time but yeah looking forward to it what are we talking about?
0: We will talk about social justice activist spaces, uh, some of the unhealthy things that occur in those spaces, and what people think about it. And delve into cancel culture, and uh, I've got a lot of thoughts on that. Uh, they're conflicting thoughts, and hopefully, you can you can elucidate some of those things for me too, and like tell me what your real thoughts are because that
1: stuff is complicated. Absolutely.
0: You've been listening to Hot Topics Reframed, topics that are hot with a lot of thought with Becky Hayes and Cedric Taylor. If you'd like to get in contact with us and you have any questions or you would like to discuss a topic that we've had on our show, please email us at hottopicsreframed at gmail.com. Again, that is hottopicsreframed at gmail.com. Look forward to hearing from you and you listening in future.